The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 42, Fiends and Lovers, Part 1. Yaga had always maintained a strategy of divide and conquer when it came to group dynamics. Divide the group and don't let them conquer their fear of the unknown. Jack had just lost his mother. The worst that could happen to him had happened. He could lose his job, but he was a programmer. He could pick something up and keep working from home without skipping a beat. Lucas was homeless and jobless in a land where he was also a foreigner. She could work with that. She could have him found, detained, and disappeared. But better than just doing it to him would be to make his possible fate known to his friends, particularly that enchanted snake princess Isabel that he seemed to have grown so fond of. Her pleading tears would make the witch's revenge that much more delicious. She sent Isabel a private message. Isabel was in the lab. She'd been writing her dissertation with the silver quill pen that had been the sword her ancient namesake's lover had used to slay her brother. It didn't write by itself, but it fitted Isabel's hand and she could write for hours without tiring. When she took it up, every thought fell into place like a ray of light, and she knew her arguments were strong. That the pen was mightier than the sword was one thing, but what if the pen had been a sword? Isabel's heart sank when she read the text. She accepted because that's what she had agreed with the others she would do, particularly now that the witch had revealed her true identity and wasn't bothering to temper her temper. Do you want to help Lucas? she asked. Of course, but what can I do? Isabel queried. You could keep him from going the way of Jack's mother, came the reply. Keep him from catching the virus and getting sick? He's young and healthy. Odds are he'd be okay. I didn't mean the plague, Baba Yaga typed impatiently. I mean, keep him alive. Keep him from dying in a transit camp somewhere. No job, no home, no papers, no family. No one to care about him but the motherless code monkey and the snake princess. Isabel paled into silence for several long moments. Which got your tongue, Tsarevna? Baba Yaga asked. How did Jack's mother contract the virus? How did she die? Baba Yaga replied, As a single person living alone and a member of a vulnerable group, and especially with an adult child living away for whom travel was restricted, she was allowed a visit from a member of her church. Recently, a kindly old dear joined the congregation, a retired nun, in fact, attending every virtual service from matins to evensong. 
she was permitted to visit several elderly and vulnerable parishioners as a charitable act, with appropriate intervals between masks and social distancing. Sadly, this good sister disappeared recently, probably succumbing to the virus herself, poor thing. You, a nun? Isabel asked incredulously, barely able to imagine such a thing. Of course, dearie. Black is the new eternity, and the old one, too, for most people. I've done it before, though mainly to orphans in hospitals and schools, rather than widows. And with everything virtual, I could be counted at church and didn't have to spend two weeks getting the stink and stain of holy water off my skin. Though those beads did burn a hole in my pocket and my wrist is probably permanently scarred, still nothing a little spell won't hide in a pinch. What did Jack do that you felt you had to kill his mother, the only person he has in the world besides us? And why do you have to go after Lucas? Isabel knew the answer. A story about death in a nut was one thing. Death for stealing death in an egg as an act of mischief or one-upmanship was excessive, even if, as she had learned, that egg contained the soul of a deathless one. Should she confess she had it? Should she give it back to save Lucas and spare Jack? What more could be done to Jack? From her cage, Rosamond was watching Isabel. She saw the sorrow and fear written plainly on her face. This was not cricket, not at all, Rosamond decided. The witch needed to leave her girl and her friends alone and pick on someone her own size. Like me, the elegant spider decided. Rosamond moved squarely in front of the gossamer-shrouded crystal egg to hide it from Isabel's view and temporarily spin a little tail that it was nothing for Isabel to concern herself with nothing to see here. Koshche hardly needed her grace or protection, but he never forgot a good turn. That pair took something that belonged to me and I want it back. It's too late for a simple return, princess. I will take everything they have and you as well. If you help me achieve what I want, you might live to tell the tale. But, as with stories of survivors of supernatural phenomena, open your mouth, put pen to paper, and most people will think you are crazy. Isabel looked down at her dissertation. It was erasing itself, letter by letter, word by word, with the rhythm of her heartbeat, faster and faster. You can't take my research, Isabel cried. Your life or your work or both for my egg, worm. Baba Yaga signed off. Isabel ran to the small chest she kept under her bed, from which she had retrieved her silver quill. She turned her serpent ring and touched the pendant at her throat. It glowed. She took out the black and white book that had once been the belt her namesake had used as one of the tokens to pay her faithless brother for her freedom. On the white pages, she read how much of her dissertation had been lost in time to the beats of her thudding heart and the projected speed of erasure. On the black pages, she saw she could do something about it. 
She touched the silver quill to the first black page, and it jumped out of her hand, restoring everything that was being erased by Baba Yaga's spell in cursive, silvery writing that disappeared into the page whenever Isabel looked away. Jack always says regular backups are super important, Isabel smiled. At the appointed time, the companions were summoned for Baba Yaga's tale. They found themselves described as seated on a stone porch of sorts, surrounded by columns, weakly illuminated by moonlight through scudding clouds and distant, flickering street lamps, which shone on a winding path through mounded hillocks amid low standing stones and statues. A graveyard, and they were seated at the entrance to a mausoleum. I never thought I'd say I missed that wretched hut, Lucas said into the private channel. There was a sound of grinding and sweeping, and Baba Yaga stopped in front of the company in her customary mortar and pestle, the broom to sweep away her tracks now stilled. Room for three more, she cried, as the friends found themselves whirling about, unwilling riders on the most wicked teacup ride ever imagined. After she was sure she had shaken her passengers up sufficiently, she began. Previously, Jack gave us a tale about cheating death. How about one about eating death? Problem, princess? Pilot, you look a little green. Cloven hooves under the poker table or waltzing away a young girl's life on the dance floor? Is it the devil? Is it a vampire? A ghoul? You decide. But tonight my tale is simply called The Fiend. Once there was a girl named for the mother of God, Marushka to her family and friends. She was beloved of all, though unspoken for, for all she was so fair. It was the custom in her village for the young people to prepare special food and meat in one of their houses for a dance to mark St. Andrew's Day, in the West, the start of Advent. The girls prepared the food. The lads brought instruments and as much vodka as they thought they could get away with. All were prepared for a night of merrymaking. All the girls danced beautifully, but Marushka was the best. A few hours into the festivities, and there was a knock on the door. A handsome stranger entered, dressed in the finest clothes. He asked if he might join the party, and from the silk-lined pockets in his greatcoat, he produced imported delicacies of every kind, as well as gifts for the hosting household, a polite detail which most of the local lads had overlooked. He was welcomed into their fellowship, even though he had eyes only for Marushka and she for him, which initially caused no end of jealous feeling among the other young people of both sexes alike. But there was something about the stranger, something magical that made them forget their ill will. When it came time to go home, everyone agreed that they should congregate at another home the next night for more festive celebration. They invited the stranger and he replied, I will attend gladly, on condition that Marushka lets me walk her home. Blushing, Marushka agreed. When they reached the end of the little lane in front of her cottage, the stranger, who said his name was Sergei, turned to her and said, 
I know we've just met, but already I feel I can't live without you. Will you marry me? Marushka was happy, but worried about what her parents would say about this whirlwind courtship. I barely know you, and my parents will have questions. My mother will want to know what you do for a living, for one thing. I'm a clerk at a merchant's in the capital. My boss hasn't any sons to come after him. I work hard, and he's fond of me. Someday I hope to take over the business. You don't have to answer tonight. Just promise to dance with me tomorrow, the handsome lad entreated. Marushka promised and ran inside. In the morning, she awoke with bright eyes and roses in her cheeks. Someone's in love, her mother smiled, putting breakfast on the table. Who is he? One of the village wastrels? I'll kill him, growled her father. He's a clerk in the capital, very much on the way up. He has lots of money. He's very handsome and such a good dancer. Marushka sighed, lapsing into happy memories of the previous evening. After breakfast, Marushka's mother took her aside and quietly said, I have heard nothing of your handsome stranger. No one knows who he is or where he's staying. When you go dancing tonight, tie the end of the spool of thread around one of his buttons. Then you can follow and see where he's staying and what manner of man he is, how he keeps himself. Marushka took her mother's notions to heart, literally and otherwise. She prepared her best dishes, dressed in her finery, and went to the dance. Sergei was there, and they danced all night. He didn't leave her side. At the end of the evening, he walked her home. The night was mild and fine for the time of year, and Sergei carried his coat over his arm. Even so, Marushka marveled that he did not feel the cold. I'm still warm from dancing, he said. You'll catch your death, she protested. If not someone else's, he winked, grinning at Marushka's nervous confusion. As he turned to go, Marushka slipped a noose of thread over one of his back waistcoat buttons and let the spool play out. It was fine, but a bright color, so she could see it easily, even in the dark. She followed at a short distance. At first, the thread followed the lanes through the village, but then it took a wild course over hedges and through ditches, through the cemetery and into the church. The church door was locked. But Marushka went around the side of the main sanctuary to the little room that served as the priest's office and changing area. She pushed up a small window pane and slipped inside. She noted the rows of vestments, storage chests, and cupboards, and the priest's writing desk with a sermon half-finished, a broken quill lying across the paper. She looked into the side of the sanctuary, into a small chapel where the faithful could pray in solitude, and where the deceased were prepared in their coffins before services, lying in the presence of the holy light and surrounded by gilded icons. Marushka looked up in horror and then down at the shadows cast on the stone floor, which were no less terrifying. Her thread glinted brightly across the flagstones, twining and twitching like a wild creature, still attached as it was to her beloved's vest. He was perched atop an open casket like a vulture, devouring a corpse. Marushka fled, but her departing steps made small clicking noises 
and the sash slammed down after she was through. Her lover stopped his feasting momentarily, considering. The Decameron shuffled, jack of spades. Why stop now, pigeons? Hang on, it gets better, Baba Yaga crowed exultantly. Her audience doubted that, lurching as she swept them along in her diabolical conveyance. Rosamond looked at Isabel. She looked like she was being consumed with revulsion and terror. Baba Yaga had threatened her and her young man. That was not on. While Isabel was preoccupied, Rosamond began to spin a message to a friend. He heard it as the faintest balalaika music, soft and wistful. Vasily, I need a favor. Can we talk? Rosamond strummed her design as she wove. For you, Raisa, anything, came the reply. She opened the cage and sailed out into the evening on a silver dragline. As she flew, she whispered to Isabel, Don't worry, honey, I'm just going to help Lucas. I'll be back before the witch is done. Then to herself, she said, If that old bat wants to play chicken with my girl, then damn me if it isn't time to break an egg. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.